Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Joey Calvez. I want to tell you guys a little bit about the Department of Metahuman Affairs. This one is a story about a team led by a retired sidekick, two felons, a failed actor from Broadway, and a reprogrammed cyborg. But their first mission is to stop the criminals who have robbed a bank, and they will have to set the world at ease. You're going to get 180 pages of entertainment action-packed awesomeness right here in the first six issues in a collected hardcover volume one all you got to do is head on over to kickstarter.com and type in the department of metahuman affairs or dma and check it out right now hey everyone it's podcast time stuck in their homes in vietnam i I don't know if vietnam's under lockdown but there sure is a lot of other countries yeah a whole bunch of them including this one brendan and the one below us and the one over there and then there's the one in the back wait about what about the one what about the one over there jason uh we don't talk about that uh what about the one over there that country doesn't exist and over there you're not even pointing in a real direction what about there uh that is a mustache Ah, so lockdown? Yes, lockdown. Welcome to our lockdown spectacular, isolation spectacular, spectacular, have... spectacular. So in in recognition of these, as the uh, corporate speak uh, people would say, troubling times, we have elected to, uh, in the spirit of uh, the situation, to watch a movie that is tangentially related to what's going on in the world around us. It is a documentary. It is almost a documentary, and today we present a film called The Girl with All the Gifts. I'm Jason McLeod, your host for today, and I am joined by my friend, my comrade, my co-host, mostly. Mm. Uh, he oh. has been a fixture in my life for quite a while now, and he is something of an expert when it comes to celluloid ladies he's not single but ladies uh i would like to introduce uh the one the only thankfully brendan wall wow that's a fucking introduction if i've ever heard one well you never get a long introduction you're usually the one doing all the talking up front so you yeah. deserve it, buddy i i was i was fearing the worst there when you started launching into it so i i appreciate it i can't uh, mean all the time yeah, that's me, Brendan. I don't know how to live up to that uh, that reputation. <laughs> you just have to take this show by the reins now and and drive us into what is happening in this movie. Well, so Jason, you mentioned this is a this is a isolation spectacular, Absolutely. a a spectacular spectacular, mm-hmm. a uh, quarantine and crumpets, if you will. That we, um, one of the many things we talked about before the show. <laughs> I had to get it in to the actual recording. <laughs> um, that being said, what do we usually do on this show? 
Well, normally on For Screen and Country, I said it all this time, it's all mine, uh, we watch films on the British Film Institute list uh, that was compiled in 1999, an almighty year of our Lord, uh, and is the definitive list of British films. Uh, because, as we know, no British films have been made in the last 20 years. Nope. Um, but, strangely, there actually was a film made in the last 20 years. It slipped through the cracks. Uh, nobody noticed it. Uh, but we've decided to watch that film today because it turns out it's sort of related to what's going on. Yes. And like Jason said, that movie is called The Girl with All the Gifts. Ladies and gentlemen, Glenn Close. Woohoo! So happy to see her. I love Glenn Close. Yeah. Although, okay, I have to say this at the gate, and I have to apologize because this is terrible, and I feel like <laughs> okay. a shithead for for what happened. But sorry. Right. Yeah, when when Glenn Close first appears on screen in this movie, we see her from profile as she's walking along the hallway. And I was sitting at a distance, I guess, from the TV, and she was at a distance on there. That when she walked up, I thought to myself. Wait, what year was this movie made? Is that Peter O'Toole? And then she turned, and it was, oh, it's Glenn Close. Oh, <laughs> and then I felt real shitty. <laughs> I mean, to your credit, I mean, you know, it's her, it's just a profile, and she was from far away, and she has a short haircut. So the I mean, short hair, it was the short blondish hair. I'm and and just kind of like she kind of sunken eyes, and you know, she's not made up in this movie because she is a very frazzled scientist, and it's just mm -hmm. it was like, oh, does she. But then I, I think about what Peter O'Toole looked like around that time, and I think I really did a terrible insult to to <laughs> Miss, Mrs. Close. So uh, wait, was, I'm so sorry. Was, I don't. Was Peter O'Toole even alive at this time? As, this was only like it was 2016, I think. Yeah, two or three years ago. Uh, wouldn't have been. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. I think he may have died around then, possibly. Okay. I mean, I could just look it up. I have a computer in front of me, but you don't. Do you don't that? need to. You don't need to. We didn't have this, you know, when I was a kid. I mean, and, no. and we were fine. You know, things were fine. <laughs> Wait, is that how you base your life? If you <laughs> yes, didn't have it when you were yes. a kid, things so, in so 1991 were fine. Jason, you had computers and podcasts in 1991. Well, no, but I'm saying we were fine. We didn't need them. Oh, now we're so. not fine. And now everything's bad, and we need these things. <laughs> oh, right. It's that old mentality of, like, everything is better when it was earlier. Yeah, yeah, uh, absolutely. Uh, and that's just a fact, because things were never better than they were in 1991. <laughs> the year of our Lord. society, yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. I think Los Angeles can attest to that, too. Absolutely, man. Los Angeles was a good time. It was a good time. Uh, I got a free stereo in Los Angeles that year. Some guy just gave it to me. It was great. Oh, wow, that's awesome. Yeah, I was the only I was, I was the only white guy there, but for some reason they just gave me the stereo. <laughs> oh shit! You still have it today? I do. It was funny. And let's see, 1991, I would have been let's see, uh, eight. Oh, I'm surprised they didn't beat the shit out of you. Well, I was a kid. I mean, yeah, and I was wandering I around L.A. by myself, which was you know in those days a bad idea. It was the style at the time. Yeah. Um. So Jason, the girl with all the gifts is the name of the movie that we uh, we watched. It it is actually available on Netflix. Um, in Canada at least. So if you are in Canada, 
and you have Netflix, um, right, off the, right out of the gate, go ahead and watch it if you want. Pause this recording and watch the movie because it is readily available, unlike a lot of the movies we talk about. Starting, wait for it, mm-hmm. now. And we're back. And so, you watched the movie. Congratulations, I you, listeners. I hope you enjoyed it. It was uh, quite a watch, I bet. Let's talk about who's in this movie, because there's somebody who's coming back already, and we've talked about a yeah. lot lately. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Gemma Arterton is yes. essentially, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't say the star, but she's the top build name, and that's because our star is a child actor who's yes. not really known at all. Kids uh, never but, get their due in these movies. You Like, like really, Haley Joel Osment should have been uh, above the title on, uh, on A Sixth Sense. Right? I mean, you're going to do that to Bruce Willis in 1999, though? If anybody should have done it, it was Haley Joel Osment. Maybe put that fucker in his place. Give him a oh, little bit of shit. fucking humility. This is for Kevin Smith, you That's son of a right. bitch. That's right. That's right. You hurt Kevin Smith's feelings, man. And I don't I don't take highly to that because he's a sweet man uh, with a filthy mouth. By the way, if anybody wants to see the most adorable Kevin Smith thing ever, just watch his like most recent appearance on uh, the late late night with Seth Myers. He's like fangirling the whole time. It's tremendous. <laughs> uh, over being on Seth Myers. Yeah, he loves Seth Myers. Oh, good. That's nice to know. I love um, Seth Myers too. So Gemma Arterton plays Mrs. Justino. She's a very kindly teacher, which I think is funny because the movies we just recently saw her in, she was a hellish student. But yeah, well, not only, not only a hellish student, but like the the head girl in the first movie, yeah. and then I guess either working for the government or some sort of independent heist contractor in the second movie. <laughs> yeah. Strangely, like I didn't realize it right off the bat that that was the same person, like the same actress, because she mm. has like a dark wig that she wears in the movie, and she almost has a. And I assumed in that movie she was Asian. Now again, maybe that was just the wig she was wearing and my own personal uh, bigotry coming out, but I, I thought she was Asian. And then in this movie, that lady's not Asian. No, and based on stereotypes, I mean, I don't think you're completely wrong to think that. Just and I it must have just been the haircut. That's the only uh, thing I can think of. Based on movie stereotypes alone, I think you're fine. <laughs> yeah, I, I thank you, TV tropes, for enlightening me to my own racism. <laughs> uh, we also have Patty Considine playing Sergeant Eddie Parks. He's great. I, I was I was trying to figure out where the fuck I'd seen him before, and I was and then I just looked at his IMDb because that's the easiest thing to do. And it turns mm. out he was in Hot Fuzz. He was the guy in Hot Fuzz. Yeah, he's in, he's in a shit ton of stuff. He's one yeah. of those like British actors where you're like, oh, that guy. He was in a movie called Honor, which is about honor killings. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, we also have, <laughs> as we mentioned, uh, Glenn Close playing Doctor Caldwell. Yes. Uh, which is nice. It's always nice to see Glenn Close uh, somehow has never won an Oscar up to this point. Hopefully that gets corrected before she dies. I think she can do it. Um, and then, then again, last... she died in this movie, so she doesn't have a chance. Anymore. Oh, shit. Spoiler alert. You said this was a documentary, so I assume they killed her. You're right. Um, and last but not least, Jason, we have introducing. This is an introducing credit, I believe. Uh, Senia Nanua, and I apologize if I'm butchering that name. Uh, she is playing Melanie, basically the title character. And she's wonderful. <laughs> she is wonderful. All of the all of the acting, I will say right off the bat right now, all of the actors we mentioned are all yeah. terrific in this movie. Yeah, they really um, are. This is a this is a um I, I guess it's like a horror movie, but it's also like I don't know, how would you describe the genre of this movie? Because it is a zombie movie. This, yeah, um, I, I, the only way I can really compare this is, 
is in terms of a video game. Uh, Brendan, have you played The Last of Us? Yes, 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 yes. Okay, yes. this this movie played. reminds me in many ways of The Last of Us, and it, it's not exact. Like it's not an exact like just like oh this movie this movie's just a version of The Last of Us, but there are elements in this that that, that kind of are also in that game and kind of have a similar feel to them. Yeah, uh, and so it's kind of a yeah survive. I, I guess the other the other thing that I would say is that this movie's like The Last of Us crossed with Stranger Things. <laughs> uh, season one because the the relationship between melanie and and glenn close's character strikes me somewhat similar to and not exact again it doesn't track because the, this other relationship between 11 and matthew modine's character in that show is a much more like kind of father-daughter relationship but kind of more in like this scientist that has a child that they that they need to get something from right uh, and obviously, in this case, in the movie, spoiler alert, she wants her brain and her spinal cord because she needs to make a vaccine for this fungal disease that is infecting everybody. And by the way, the fungal disease that she or the, the fungus that she uh, uh, says, she says Latin name for it. I clicked on uh, something in an article and that's a real fungus. Oh, uh, OK. Yeah. It, it, and, it, and it does basically to insects exactly what it does to humans in the movie. It will infect the insect. And then the insect will go find like a leaf. Uh, it will be compelled to go like find like a place underneath the leaf and then like kind of dig its mandibles into the leaf and then it will die. And the, the fungus will then grow out of the uh, corpse and use it for nutrients. So there is some real like research going into this. Yeah, this is this is a like I say, they're, they're just extrapolating. Oh, if this thing did this thing to humans, maybe it would be like this. Now, I don't know that it would grow up into a big tower and need to be set on fire to. Uh, well, let's. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we're jumping real far ahead, but let's, we're let's jumping let's, real far ahead. Let's basically nail down the plot here, Jason. What would you first say? Off, just bare bones off, it for us. Well, first off, we have to note yet another film that has been financed by the lottery in the UK. So yep. thank you, you fucking lottery assholes for spending your pounds every day and bothering the poor cashiers. <laughs> hey, if it turns out stuff like this, I'm in. Oh, yeah. Maybe we should uh, convince our government to do that. Start using the lottery money to make some good fucking movies. No, we got to fix the roads, Jason, everywhere. That's true. We we have a lot more space, so we need better roads than the, the British do. They can just walk everywhere. Exactly. A tiny little island. <laughs> I thought you were going to say, I thought for some reason you were going to say with their tiny little legs, and I was like, is that a British stereotype? <laughs> Look at them running around with their tiny little British legs. Well, it's so they don't fall over on, on, on the deck of the ship. <laughs> I was like, I, that's that's like a like a... Are you sure you're not confusing British people with the film Tiptoes? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Gary Oldman is representative of all British people, and we're sorry for that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, poor Gary Oldman. Uh, Gary Oldman is a, one of the most fantastic actors that live, ever lived, but also kind of a shitbag. <laughs> uh, th that I have heard. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so... Okay, so tell us, Jason, what 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 is it... If it you know, break it down to its, uh, to its base... Well, Concept. in the beginning, in the beginning, God created Adam. God created. Well, no, that wasn't the very first thing he did. He had to actually create the the heavens and the, well, the light and the dark, and then the heavens and the earth and Listen, all the. Listen, don't tell me, don't earth. don't fucking tell me what order he went in, okay? Welcome to First Screen in Theology. I'm Jason, <laughs> and I'm Jesus. Oh, hey, buddy! What what a, what a get for our first episode. <laughs> you can't hey, ask for a better guest. I just want to say, as Jesus, you know, your Lord and Savior. Yeah. You guys are fucking up. Like, not you guys. You guys are cool. You guys are mad chill as shit. 
Yeah, but, yeah. like, you fucking listeners out there, no, you fucking listeners are probably mad chill as shit, too. By the way, this is Jesus, and this is how uh, I talk. Don't, l- don't let him. I don't know. I don't know if antagonizing our listeners is necessarily the best approach on, on bro, the first episode. Bro, just hang on, man. I just want to say one thing. Like, you guys I have there, to deal with the fallout on Twitter of this. You, you fallout sick game, bro. But yeah, you is. guys out there, not you listeners, but you fucking guys, like, just stand out there protesting. Like, you guys, and then you're blaming it on me? Like, fuck all y'all, dude. Jesus, we don't like to get political on this show. Oh, um, man. Keep it straight down the middle, you know, because we got, we got listeners all across this great land of ours. Listen, I've been drinking. Jesus, you, uh, what? We just have a tap here. <laughs> dude, I'm Jesus Christ, bro. He can walk across water. He can walk across beer, my friend. I can just turn that shit into wine. All right, Jesus. Well, you know what? You should probably take off because we really have to talk about this movie. It was fun for the bit and everything, but you're actually kind of kind of being a bit of a drag right now. Yeah, I gotta go. Uh, I gotta go hang out and fucking. I gotta go check out North Korea anyway. I'm getting some alerts on my phone, so I better check that out. Yeah. Uh, you, you know the Reapers on vacation, so I'm covering for him. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. Jesus out. Shopton for president, y'all. I mean, I guess it's it's not Trump. Man, a lot of people are really rooting for that guy. Al Sharpton, always best dressed guy in the world. He's the best tracksuits. <laughs> um, but anyway, what's this movie about? <laughs> this movie is again. I, I go back to Stranger Things, but it's like so. We, we we don't really know what's going on right out of the right out of the box on this one. We're we're in a prison. It's uh, it's dank. It's dark. We have a child. She's in a room. She's counting, uh, and she takes down some pictures off the wall, and then proceeds to sit herself into a, a wheelchair that is covered in restraints, and just sits happily in it. And and a guy comes in and gets her, and they take her to a room with other kids. They're all wearing like prison orange jumpsuits and Crocs, and they're in these restraint chairs, and they're being asked questions about the periodic table. Anyways, long story short, it turns out that uh, these kids are. Uh, second generation infected humans. So what's going on in the world is that there is a, a, a plague that has happened that is a result of a fungal infection, as we discussed earlier. And this fungus, when it gets into people, it, it takes over their body and it renders them essentially mindless uh, drones. Mm. Well, one might compare them to a zombie, uh, mm-hmm. but it is technically not a zombie. Brendan, as I push my glasses up to my nose and say, listen, this is not a zombie movie. This is a movie with fungals uh, that they call Hungries, which is hilarious. You're like that fucking asshole that's like, 28 days later is not a zombie movie. They're infected yeah. with rage. That's right. That's right. It's, it's Re- Resident Evil 4 is not a zombie game. They're not zombies. They're infected with the La Plagas virus. They're essentially zombies. Essentially, but they're not They're not created in the traditional zombie manner. It's actually, they're, they're in this movie, again, with The Last of Us comparison, they're kind of similar to the clickers. Although in that game, the clickers are much more like mushroom-like, where they've mm-hmm. got like big like things coming off their heads and stuff. Um yeah, so they're – but these kids are also infected. They were infected as, I guess, either in the womb or as newborns, and they're considered second generation. And while they do have the instinct to crave human flesh, much in the same way that the, the adults do, they also still maintain their sentience. They can still talk and interact and and be people until they catch the scent of a human, and then they will attack. And this is demonstrated in the movie by uh, – they have um, – 
this uh what do they call it blocker it's just called blocker i think but it's like a gel that blocker they rub gel themselves. yeah blocker gel yeah that blocks their scent and so he at one point uh, melanie the main character gives an answer that or, or no uh, reads a story that she wrote and it makes the teacher happy and she puts her hand on the head of melanie and then the sergeant comes in and he's like what, what are you fucking doing you idiot these people will tear you apart watch this and he spits on his arm and he rubs it and he puts it in front of one of the kids faces and the kid starts like just fucking going nuts his mouth's opening and growling and trying and everybody on that side of the room is like trying to attack him and get at so these things are not to be messed with mm-hmm. now i have to assume the whole reason that all of them are there is for what the ultimate purpose of glenn close's character is is to develop a vaccine although they seem to have a special interest in melanie specifically yeah, well, she seems to be able to resist it a lot more, to resist yes, she, the urge. She does, and and we, we see that a little bit later on when uh, they put her in her cell and they don't remove her from the chair, from her restraints. So the teacher goes into the room and, and does it for her. But when she's in there, Melanie starts to react and starts to, like, twitch. And she says, she says to the teacher, you smell really good today, ma'am. And she's like, oh, thank you. And she's like get out and the teacher's like what she's like get out now and she like lunges at her and and catches herself on the wheelchair and the teacher just manages to get out of the room and slam the door shut before melanie grabs her mm-hmm. and she then proceeds to cry and smear herself in gel which is less hot than it sounds <laughs> well and then and then basically yeah the rest of the movie is there's a zombie attack on the compound mm-hmm. um and and you know military people are getting wiped out left and right uh however sergeant parks uh, Dr. Caldwell, Melanie, and a couple of other soldiers uh, managed yes. to escape. Um, oh, also, and- gotta gotta point out uh, one of the soldiers early in the movie, uh, the uh, young lady with the mohawk looked very familiar to me, and I looked her up, and she is what is her name? Dominique Tipper, and she is in the TV show The Expanse, which is a a wonderful sci-fi show that you can watch on Amazon. Uh, so I was happy to see her because she's great. There you go. Yeah. Uh, so they all make it. They all make it away from the from the base, and it's basically the rest of the movie is just them trying to make their way through the world and avoiding, you know, getting killed and shit, and uh, eventually getting to a mobile lab, and it kind of goes from there. And and this is this part of it is kind of like the the first part of it is kind of the Stranger Things kind of thing that yeah. I got from this movie, but then the second part of it is the Last of Us part where they're kind of traipsing through the environment, and you're seeing these wonderful beautiful like shots of the empty city and I'm, but i'm thinking to myself like it's never clear how long it's been since this uh since this initial outbreak or whatever has happened and oh. i mean i don't know how long it takes a city to degrade but these cities look yeah. like they, in battlefield earth when they've been you know <laughs> gone for a th- for a thousand years like <laughs> how dare you <laughs> i mean they, they look good they just look really like really yeah. degraded, degraded i don't remember the scene where glenn close was like hey here's some planes that have been stuck <laughs> in the ground for a thousand years as cavemen let's all learn how to fly them when, when glenn close gets up on a soapbox and starts screaming man is an endangered species <laughs> oh good lord but she shoot remember that scene where she shot a cow's leg off yeah just just because just to see it die <sighs> Uh, so Jason, actually, that brings up a good point, and I think that's one of the first points I wanna I wanna kind of ask you about is like I think you and I, I mean, I know I have, and I'm sure you've seen like your fair share of zombie movies. I have. I mean, I, I wouldn't say I've seen like like I have not seen Night of the Living Dead, although I have. Oh, seen, that's a shame. Uh, uh, Day of the Dead, 
They have you've not dead. seen you've not seen Dawn of the Dead in the shop. Dawn world? of the Dead, yes, I've seen Dawn, I've seen both Dawn of the Deads. Okay, okay, okay. Because yeah. the original Dawn of the Dead, by the way, is anybody's listening right now and hasn't seen that, yeah, watch that's it. A great movie. And I and the remake. The remake is also a really fucking good movie. Uh, the remake well. is like one of the very few movies by Zack Snyder that I actually like. <laughs> yeah, no, it's uh um like it's the opposite of Sucker Punch. Yeah. Oh God damn. <laughs> well, let's just say Sucker Punch was on my other podcast. Yeah, so. it had to have been. <laughs> um, but one thing about zombie movies that almost is almost universal is that they never really specify how the outbreak started. Yeah. Um, they almost, almost never do, or they almost never say like what's causing it, what's the, you know, what's the purpose of this. Yeah. In this movie. They kind of do a, they kind of do a lot more than they than they generally do in a zombie movie. How do you feel about that in general? Like when you watch a zombie movie like Shaun of the Dead, let's say, or like Dawn of the Dead or Day of the Dead, when you don't really get a background, do you do you kind of like like that better, or do you think it kind of depends on the movie itself? Like, well, it's it's always a question that comes up. I mean, if if you watch movies like I do, as in in the kind of headspace of a Star Trek fan that likes to have explanations, however bullshit, for why stuff happens in something, uh, I do like getting that. But also, it doesn't bother me if it's not there because it's usually not relevant. Uh, mm. However, the outbreak started is usually not relevant to whatever's going on in the movie. Uh, so you know, it doesn't really matter ultimately. It's it's a thing. It's a tough thing too because you don't want to do it in a super exposition way, right? Mm-hmm. You don't want to have just like a character sitting there and just explaining everything that happened. Yeah. Um, the brilliant thing about using a fungus is that most people have a vague idea of how a fungus works. And so it's, an, thing, it's an easy thing to say. Yeah. And that's the thing about this movie too, is they kind of try their, their, their damnedest to kind of root it into something that could realistically happen. Yeah. Um, as you Absolutely. said, that fungus that you, that you actually, you, you Googled the, the Latin name of it. It's a real, it's a real fungus that affects, you said, uh, insects, insects, right? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, to apply it to human beings in that way, um, knowing that some people, you know, watching the movie may look up, may look that up and check that out. It, it's kind of, it's kind of cool that they went that extra mile to, to kind of, to kind of root it in reality. You might say this is, is science fiction in the most literal sense of it, uh, of like taking something that's real and then doing something fictional with it. Right. My other question is this, why do you think in zombie movies, like 99% of the time, and I'm talking like George A. Romero, even like zombie movies, mm. they hardly ever call them zombies. Because zombies kind of a dumb sounding name and sounds really dumb coming out of somebody's mouth. Because you yeah, imagine you're in like like an intense situation. It's like, we've got zombies coming at us. The person could be like, shut your, shut zombies, shut up, zombies. These are I mean, freakers or, or Zeds <laughs> or fucking uh clickers or whatever you want to call them <laughs> well that that's my point though aren't yeah. those names just as ridiculous yeah no and then and you're right absolutely but i i think it's more just that zombie is such a zombie it, it can or maybe used to maybe not now but i think at one time zombie would conjure a very like voodoo image of like a of a, an undead kind of from some voodoo ceremony uh, uh, so maybe there was the idea that oh we don't want to call them zombies we want to call them something else so it sounds like we're original like a Bella Lugosi, I walked yeah. with a zombie or whatever. Yeah, and and for this movie to use the term hungries, hmm. it's like I don't know that that gives the gives the threat the weight it deserves. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we got a little bit of feel with hungries in the room. Oh, I look did, at all damn little hungries. You know what I did think was an interesting term that they used was when the soldiers are describing the kids, they refer to them as friggin' abortions. Yeah, that is a that is a a weight that that term has some weight to it. <laughs> 
Because I mean, I mean, right there, you're saying, you know, uh, pretty distinct, pretty distinctly saying these, this is something unwanted. This yes. is something that needs to be done away with. Uh, I mean, you're giving you're giving a lot in those two words. Yes, and 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 when we see them in action, we understand why because they're they're merciless, mm-hmm. uh, like 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 real like regular children. Regular children are merciless. See, this is why children are children and adults are adults. If children were in charge, they would be the worst, most vicious, violent dictators that had ever existed. So <laughs> I so I'm going to say right now unequivocally that I do not advocate for a child-based government. Oh, wow. Shit. Just dropping it right here for the world to know that I will not endorse that sort of a political system. So this will be really interesting when we get to our Beasts of No Nation episode. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Because Idris Elba is British, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I, don't, I don't think it's a child government. I think they're just child soldiers, which is a much more well, disturbing idea. A lot of governments start with soldiers. You know, you got you to gotta cut your teeth somewhere. <laughs> um. So, yeah, I mean, but that doesn't doesn't that whole thing like tie in? So they're all basically they've got these kids um, uh, quarantined, I guess, for lack of a better term, uh, jailed, you know, for study and scientific study. And they're also like schooling them at the same time, just kind of like regular children. But and they've got them all in these orange jumpsuits. Mm. And I'm wondering if that's like a way for the soldiers, for the military to like. Not differentiate. I mean, you know that any kid in this movie is going to be, you know, a hybrid zombie or whatever. And it's not necessarily putting them in these jumpsuits to know that they're a zombie. It's almost like they do that to distance themselves, to be like, these aren't people. It's part of the dehumanization process. And in this case, uh, I could see, like, from a perspective of somebody that's running this facility. Yeah, we need to dehumanize these kids because you cannot treat these kids as kids because while they may be children in, in their, like, you know, their conscious faculties, the minute they get a whiff of you, they are murder machines that will eat your fucking dick off immediately and with no remorse. And that kind of turns into the whole thing where it's like, I, I don't want to get a, like too philosophical or whatever here, but it's like, it's almost like one, uh, someone's nature versus like, if they have more free will, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's, it's like, yes, uh, Melanie is the prime example of this because Melanie, our title character is, wait, is this movie be, called Melanie? Oh, wait, yes. She, or she is the girl with the gifts, I guess. I never she mind. is the girl with all the gifts. Um, <laughs> Uh, but she she kind of has a lot of control, a lot more control over yeah. her over her instincts. She doesn't have total control as we see several times, mm-hmm. but but she has a thing. So she has a thing where it's like, okay, her nature is clearly that she doesn't want to be that way. Yeah, that she doesn't want to necessarily rip everyone's throat out. She doesn't want to eat people. So she's kind of exercising free will and the fact that she tells people, you know, get out of the room, get out of the room. I'm going to attack you and I can't stop myself. So it's like constant battle between like, well, her her inner nature versus her free will. Yeah. Yeah. And that she uh, is working against that, like like all humans do every day of their lives. Mm-hmm. Although our, think- our, our inner nature isn't isn't quite as immediately violent. I mean, it can be pretty violent, but not just like. Most humans don't like jump on somebody and then just start eating their face uh, unless you've taken bath salts. Well, but that's just a good weekend. <laughs> Such a prude. God. Listen, Jason, I can't help it if you watched Sausage Party and thought it was a documentary. I told you it was just you know, an animated film and you didn't believe me. See, here's the thing. I went to the theater and I watched Sausage Party, but that was not the same movie. And I think I was in the wrong theater. 
Well, why did you why did you go four towns over to well, watch you know, I, it? It was, uh, I was bored. It was uh, it was a nice drive that night. Okay. Okay. Mm. So yeah, so the beginning of the movie, what I think is really cool about this movie is that the beginning of it, like the first, uh, would you say like half an hour that they're at yeah. the facility, um, it's very, it's, and it, we talked about this a lot in just our regular movies on the list, but it's very mechanical. There, yes. it's very symmetrical. Everything looks very, uh, like very in line, in order. And then as soon as we kind of escape that world and we get out into like you know the woods or the other city where they're running, where they're you know running even, away. Even once gets, we get up out of the elevator into the hangar, and then as she's pushed, being wheeled outside the hangar, it's just pandemonium kind of going on at the gates because we see all the. Uh, uh, I was going to say freakers. That's days gone. Uh, yeah. All the uh, hungries uh, <laughs> crowding the gates. Yeah. Uh, Pandemonium at the gates. The Jude Law sequel that we all have waited for. Also, quick note here. Uh, I was reading a little bit about the book that this is based on. And this is one of those movies that has kind of a lost world thing going for it, where the book and the movie were kind of conceived at the same time. Okay. Dude wrote, dude wrote the book and then also wrote the screenplay as he was doing it. Um, now, in the book there is a, a another faction of humans called junkers, which are essentially like, you know, raiders, post-apocalyptic raiders that are out there that scavenge and whatever. And, and in the book, they are the catalyst. They are the thing that attacks the base and kind of sends everything into pandemonium that allow that then causes our protagonist to escape out of there. Oh, okay. So it's a little, it's a little different in that it's regard. It's a little different. Yeah. In that regard, but, I, but not much different, I guess. I was going to say, I have heard that this is pretty close to the book, and I think it has a lot to do with, like you said, with the, the writer actually doing the screenplay. Yeah, when, when the novelist is writing the screenplay as he's actually writing the book, that's an interesting thing, I imagine, to uh, then compare those two. Yeah, well, I mean, some things, you know, I mean, I think we've seen examples of that over the years on both sides. Some stuff that works in books does not work in movies and vice, vice versa. versa. Yeah. yeah. So I mean we've got so we've got this whole thing where they're moving from one world to the other. Um, I also noted that like a lot of the stuff almost seemed like. Did you get a, any kind of like a Stanley Kubrick vibe from the earlier stuff? Well, some of the shots where they're kind of these static, like kind of very particularly framed shots, um, yeah. like in the in the classroom and stuff. I could see that vibe. Yeah, that didn't and, occur to me while watching it, but now that you mention it, yeah, I can see that. So I've I've uh, I've convinced you. Yes, you've made Excellent. you've made a lot of good points today. <laughs> oh, and now we can include. <laughs> oh, okay. God save the queen. <laughs> and go fuck yourselves. <laughs> <laughs> Not the last episode yet, Jason. Oh, oh right, right. So I take it back. Put that back in the hopper. Um. We should we should also play like I do want to play a clip here because you mentioned there's a scene early on where they're in class, all the kids are in, in class, and we, we meet Miss Justino, played by uh, the, the wonderful Gemma Arterton, mm-hmm. who, since the last three movies, I just, like, she's wonderful. She's so good. And she's playing such a different part here. And I think that's when you know the real strength of an actor, is when you see them in two parts that are, couldn't be any more polar opposite, and the, the person is just as good performing it. Yeah. Um, she gets a lot and, more to work with in this one. She, well, yeah, definitely. She has more character in this one, but she, she's she's fun in the St. Trinian's movies. Oh, yeah. And and actually, I, I was surprised that the first St. Trinian's was her first movie. Was that? Is that right? That was her on-screen debut. Wow. Yeah. 
Okay, well, I'm even more impressed then. Um, but this is a this is a scene where they're in class and Melanie, of course, the the young girl, uh, wants to uh, wants to tell stories and she gets a chance to tell a story of her own and it kind of like ties into the entire movie. So let's just listen to a scene of Melanie telling her story during class to the teacher who has a bit of an emotional reaction to it. Pencils down. So who would like to read their story out loud? Melanie, start us off. Once upon a time in ancient Greece, there was a woman. She was very beautiful the most beautiful and kind and clever and amazing woman in all the world. One day, she was walking in a forest when suddenly she was attacked by a monster. It was a friggin' abortion and it wanted to eat her. The woman was really brave. She fought and fought, but the monster was big and fierce. She couldn't kill it. She broke her sword and her spear. The monster was about to eat her. But then a girl came running up. She was like Achilles because she couldn't be hurt except in one place she kept secret. She fought the monster and killed it and cut off its head and went glumphing back. And the woman, the woman said, you are my special girl. You will always be with me. And I'll never, never let you go. And they lived. They lived happily together ever after. So, and the reason I really like that scene is, well, first of all, you get a sense of like what's coming. Like it's almost foreshadowing, like the whole thing where she's like, I, it's just the person's always going to protect you no matter what. And that's kind of what she does for Miss Justino yeah. throughout the entire movie. And then you also, it just does a great job of like establishing their relationship. And their relationship is almost like the exact opposite of what, uh, of Melanie's relationship with like Glenn Close as the, uh, as the mm-hmm. scientist the researcher yeah. yeah absolutely that uh justin is providing her with kind of the motherly love uh, or at least as much as she could possibly get in that situation and yeah glenn close is the distant authority figure and but and, you know for good reason <laughs> well that, and that's the thing too what the thing i want to mention too is i like how no one's just straight up evil yeah like, no absolutely no. glenn close's character yeah is she has a very compelling argument for her actions. Very Every, compelling. Exactly. Everyone is doing what they think is right. Even you even have, um, you know, Sergeant Parks, who yes. we said, uh, Patty Considine. I thought right away, I was like, oh, this is the villain. Yeah. But he's really not. No, he's he's angry out of the gate. But we learn that he has really good reason for being as angry as he was about her touching uh, Melanie's head. And, and And he also explains like. He says the whole thing where like before this, he wasn't anything like this. Yeah. Like it did. It, it made a complete personality change in him. Yeah. Which is, you know, just we've seen in other movies we've watched, uh, uh, you know, warfare does things to people or or at least in this case, a traumatic experience, uh, fungal plague. <laughs> War is hell. War is hell. And so is disease. Yeah. So I just I, I think that really stands out. The fact that the characters are not just black and white. Even like you even get a sense of, um, a miss Justino having something in her past where I'll play a scene. I'll play a clip of a scene here in a bit in a minute, but later on in the movie, they're kind of like they're hunkered down. Um, after, by the way, one of the most terrifying scenes 
I think in a movie I've seen in a while is where they're walking through the city and the zombies are like silent. Yeah. And, just all standing and, there. and still. Yeah. But they've sprayed themselves with the blocker gel mm-hmm. and the zombies can't smell them, but they're just like slowly, just casually walking around them. And Oh my God, my nerves during this scene. But anyway, yeah. When and, and then I was going to say in that walking around scene, when they get to the, um, uh, they see the, the hungry, walking along with a baby carriage yeah a pram if you will and that's a nut that th- this is a crazy scene because it basically ends up with glenn close looking at it and stopping the the, the freaker and seeing or freaker the hungry and seeing the uh uh, uh where, where the baby is kind of like moving around and so she like takes her gun and like goes to lift it up expecting to see like some sort of zombie baby under there and she flips up the blanket and it's just a fucking rat eating the baby corpse. And she like screams and kind of like starts to retch. And that sets off the freakers and they have to start shooting them. And, but they're using silenced weapons, right? And just, you know, plugging the freakers as they go. They're not awaking all of them, but just a few of them are awaking here and there and they have to get their asses out of there. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a, it's a crazy scene. Yeah. Um, but then, yeah, so shortly after that, they're kind of hunkered down and, uh, just to know is having a conversation with parks because, and, 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 uh, anyway, I'll just play this scene for a bit and then we'll talk about it. Do you think Beacon have missed our comms yet? Hard to say. They check in when they can. They've been stretched just lately. Sufficient unto the day. What? Don't you fraternize with the enlisted men? You ever killed a kid? I was in the Terriers. I didn't say boo to a fucking goose turd before all this kicked off. She looks at me like I'm Jesus. She loves you. Yeah, she loves me. I just couldn't get out of the way in time, that's all. not a good person. I've never met a good person or a bad one. You just do whatever's in you to do. So no one's ever responsible for anything? Responsible to who? So yeah, a lot of things going on there. Um, I wanted to mention in that scene, he says, I was in the Terries? Yeah. And I was trying to figure out what that meant. Yeah, I didn't know, know either. You know British people. They got weird slang. Um, of course. Yeah, we don't ever. And I, I don't know, did he say I was in the Terries or I was something with the Terries? But but Terry slash Terrence is, is British Army slang for a member of the Taliban. So I have to assume what he meant by that was that he was in Afghanistan fighting the Taliban. And so he never said boo to a turd before this. Like So it wasn't like this was anything different than what he'd been through before in terms of like intensity and trauma. So you're, you're saying that he was a member of the Taliban, right? Yeah, he was in the Terries. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, that and like another interesting thing here that's going on is um, she says, I'm not a good person. Yeah. And based on what we've seen so far, I mean, she is. But it's that it's that whole I think it's that whole guilt thing of that. She kind of knows what's going on. I mean, for example, we see yeah. an early scene where Glenn Close literally goes up to Melanie. And she's like, pick a number between one to 20. Yeah. She picks 13, and all of a sudden, thir- number 13, child number 13, is on a class the next day because uh, uh, we see his brain later in a jar. Yeah. 
Um, so we're assuming that that's how she came to that decision. And I think she feels like more complicit. Well, I think she must feel complicit in the whole damn affair. Uh, because, you know, I'm sure there were plenty of German bureaucrats in the early forties that thought they were good people, but they were still knowingly or not contributing to the Holocaust of millions of people. Right. (laughs) You know, so she probably, maybe she's self-aware enough to understand that whatever good outcome they see coming from this it's still pretty fucked up right and we also get him saying i've never met a good person or a bad person yeah which is a really interesting kind of statement right it's like people do what they do to survive basically yeah and i guess a guy who'd been in afghanistan probably would have seen a lot of that firsthand people that not necessarily bad people or good people but just people doing what they got to do uh Let's talk a little bit about Melanie, because as far as the other children are concerned, we mostly see them as like zombies or like, you know, with their with their in, their noise, the noises they make and the way they kind of move around like animals. They, they no- all seem far less interested in what in like the education end of things and, and the teacher than Melanie does. Melanie is clearly a bit of a teacher's pet. Yeah. <laughs> what a fucking kiss ass. Right. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but she has a moment of like. She has moments where she's a kid, like she she behaves like a human yeah. child. And I think those are like almost the most touching and also like somewhat upsetting. Yeah, because no, then for a, absolutely for a moment, you're like, oh, right. She's also a child. Yeah. And I just want to play a quick example of that, um, a scene where she is going to be basically being sent out to to um, kind of get the zombies distracted. And, and move out of the way so they can advance. And she basically asks if she can have a radio. Mm. And her whole reaction in this scene is very much like a excited kid would be. Yeah, yeah, let's just, exactly. Let's just take a listen here. Do you want to get some more exercise? You can run ahead and find us a clear route. Can I use the radio thing? Gallagher, give her your radio thing. Sarge? She'll give it you back. Right, there you are. Show me. Push that button to talk. Let go so I can talk back. Just like that, yeah. Off you go then. <laughs> Don't play with anybody that looks dead. She better not bloody lose it. Hello, it's Melanie. Melanie calling on the radio. I know. What have you got? Yeah, so it's again, it's like it go. It, those the scene scenes like that where it goes back to her behaving like a normal child. What it's like, it it's. The, the opposite of what the kids have been going through at the facility. It's like, oh, yeah, these are still kind of people. Yeah, and it's – well, no, they, they are people. They're, they're people most of the time. They're people until they get the scent of human flesh, and then they're the problem. <laughs> yeah, it's almost like that whole <laughs> that whole problem in the Twilight movies. It's like, okay, you're going to make them like, you know – good guys and love each other and stuff but what do you do when they get the taste for blood oh they just eat animals okay cool yeah. 
Well, you know, but as we all know from vampire lore, animals just don't have the same satisfaction as as true human flesh and blood. Isn't that what that Rolling Stones song is all about? Uh, Starfucker? <laughs> sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, and so that's what she has to do. And at one point we see her uh, chase down a cat. Oh, that was that was upsetting. It was upsetting, but but you know what? She had to eat. And uh, I, what I thought was more upsetting uh, was when she finds the dog. She oh. finds this dog hiding in the house. And I'm like, oh, she can eat the dog. And then she picks the dog up. And I'm like, oh, I guess she kind of wants a dog. But no, then she takes the dog and uses the dog to distract the uh, the hungries. And they all take off after the dog, which is a brilliant stroke of, of uh, tactical uh execution but you also feel bad for that poor doggy <laughs> i hope that dog got away yeah i like to think he just he just kept running and he just took all those uh hungries to the sea you know what jason you know what they say hungry I'll have you, no i'll tell you what they say you ready i'm ready Maybe tomorrow I'll finally settle down. Until tomorrow I'll just keep moving on. I'm living on the edge of Cincinnati. Okay, that's not the Cincinnati line. Cincinnati WKRP. I'm pretty sure the line I'm is. I'm at WKRP in Cincinnati. I'm pretty sure the line is I'm living on the air in Cincinnati because he's a radio DJ. No, he's living on the edge of Cincinnati because he's about to get audited. Because he's a radio DJ and that's all he can afford. That's right. <laughs> that, God damn, that was a good show. Let's just take a side moment to talk about how great WKRP was. I've, I haven't seen that much of it, to be honest Well, with you. you should find it and ideally find the most complete version of it you can, which ideally would be like VHS rips from the, the day. But, no, uh, I want to find the one with all the music edited out. That's what I'm saying. Oh, you want that? Well, you can buy that on DVD. <laughs> it's out of print now, but you can get it. Uh, why actually, they, even? They did wow. actually release the, release the show with about like 85 to 90% of the music intact. There's a few that they couldn't get the rights to, like Pink Floyd's Dogs. Yeah, uh, which unfortunately completely ruins that scene. So I wouldn't be surprised if they cut it. Well, there you go. The more you know, folks. Also, did you know there's an episode of WKRP that they like changed the last act of at some point? Like when it originally aired, it had one last act, and then they like when they when they reran the show, they had changed the last act and recast the 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 guest star they had hired uh, with Vincent Chiavelli. I did not know that. Yeah, what a weird thing to do. Did he of teach? Course, did he teach Johnny Fever how to be a ghost? Uh, no, he robbed the station of a bunch well, of money that they had no, for a giveaway. Same thing. Yeah. Anyways, WKRP, check it out. Find it. Watch it. Uh, uh, as God is my witness, I thought turkeys could fly. <laughs> All right, then. Um, so, <clears throat> so we also get – so the big debate in this movie, Jason, I, I got to say, by the way – I love the ending. Yeah, it's a cool ending. And it's, it's a bit of a different uh, twist ending, I suppose. I think it's com- it's completely unexpected as far as yeah. as far as I was concerned. But like it raises a couple of good points um, because we come to the point where we so we basically we find out the whole stuff behind the fungal infection. And we yeah. see this giant tree, as you mentioned earlier. Um, with all these, like, it almost looked like giant pine cones. Well, it's, it's not a tree. It's a, it's a building that has been overgrown with the second stage of the fungus, uh, where yeah. it, it is kind of, it is grown, it is now grown out of the body, which is no longer being used and is growing independently. Uh, like vine, it looks like vines, but like brown vines growing up the side of this uh, tower. 
Right, and all the all the little like pieces, but they they they, they do kind of look like giant pine cones though. The the spore, the, where the spores, spores. Are, yes, the, yeah. these giant pine cone things that contain the spores, but are quite hard. And, and we basically learn <laughs> quite hard. My new podcast. Mm-hmm. Mm. Hello. Um, and we do basically learn that. If if something like this, if all of these were to open, like and and they're and they're, you know they're irritated by fire and water, like fire and water. So like if there was a flood, if there was a brush fire, like that could be the end of humanity basically, because the, then the disease would be airborne, and everybody would fucking get it. Yes, because right now you think you have to touch someone to or get bitten to uh, uh, have it transmitted to you. Yeah, well, interestingly, I think you can also, if you get the, your their blood on you, um, it, it mixes with your blood, I think, is also a way that you can get it. Because Glenn Close, early on, um, stabs one of them in the head, but I think she cuts herself with the knife, and she also gets some of the zombie's blood on right. her hand. So right. she's slowly dying throughout the yeah, movie. She cuts her hand because she stabs that zombie with a piece of glass she picks up and just fucking just reefs him with it, and then steps back and realizes, oh, fuck, I've just cut the shit out of my hand. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, mixed with yeah the other blood yeah, the exactly. horror of, of the fact that it's zombie blood or or sorry hungry blood hungry 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 bl- hungry blood <laughs> um and and we we run into this whole debate uh, that kind of starts off a little early because you know we get the uh, the character Kieran uh, the the gentleman that runs out to do a supply run who I really like that character he's sort of like underutilized a little bit but I thought he was like a it was like a an, um he was a nice addition to the story. He was. But, he was nice. But he, he, I, there's a big question about this scene I have too. Is that they okay. they send her out to go feed, right? Yeah. Uh, because she specifically asked them. She's like, "I'm hungry. I really need to go eat. So I need to go out and do this." And and they're like, "Okay." And so they send her off. They don't give her walkie-talkie or anything. They leave that in Kieran's hands. And then they send Kieran out on a on a supply run. Now, is it a smart idea to send Kieran out when when they know for a fact? That Melanie's out there feeding. Now, I know Melanie probably doesn't want to eat Kieran, but also we know that when she catches the scent, if possible, you know, which could happen, uh, then she could just go nuts on him. So I I feel like that's a really bad decision that they make, uh, even though that's not ultimately what happens to him. I'm actually surprised that didn't happen in the movie. Yeah, because that that was kind of where I thought it was going, that she was going to like accidentally catch his scent and then be done with it, you know. But maybe that's the misdirect they give you to be like, yeah. Oh, you know, she's actually the one that actually tries to save him. Yes. So there's 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 obviously some genuine humanity in this character. Yes. Um, but it also starts the debate in this movie that kind of leads up to the conclusion is that sacrifice one for the good of many. Because mm-hmm. we have a, a whole thing where Kieran basically ends up getting suckered into this like store, uh, this like convenience store that's that the gate is shut and he finds so many supplies. I believe it's and called course, a news agent, but yeah, it's a convenience yeah, store. Yeah, he, it's a British thing, you know. It's And we know it's a news agent because that's where he finds all the porn because we have to have the moment in the movie where the guy finds the porn uh, yeah. and then that's important that he's going to get killed. <laughs> <laughs> we got to make him uh, a sexual deviant and then <laughs> kill him. Absolutely. Because looking at porn immediately makes you a sexual deviant. Hi, my name is Brendan, and this is Jason, and we're both sexual deviants. Hey! <laughs> but <laughs> he, he does get kind of lured in there, and uh, you know, eventually these feral children, these zombie kids, surround him and 
decimate him. Like it's it's He's, pretty gory. Yeah, but here's the thing: the zombie kids come up with a really stupid plan that works. And the stupid plan is they walk up to him and the, 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 the little girl walks up to him holding a rat. And it's just like, uh, uh. And he's like, what? <laughs> and she's like, uh, uh. And he's like, you want me to eat it? Nah, I just ate. And she's like, uh, uh. And he basically just starts kind of walking toward her and she starts walking backwards. And that's it. She just walks backwards until he walks far enough forward that two kids run by and slice his fucking knees open and drop him to the ground. And then they all gang up on him. <laughs> I feel like, though. No matter what he did, they were going to ambush him. Oh, yeah. No, they were going to get him. But they're, they're, it was nice that their dumb plan worked out perfectly. <laughs> good for them. Um, I mean, it's got to be good character building thing, you know, good confidence building for those kids. <laughs> and, what, what I, and, and like, again, they go out to save him um, just as they're getting kind of word from another city that they're being evacuated. Like, because yeah. they're trying to they're, they find basically like a mobile. Um, what, what would you call it? Like a mobile. Uh, I would call it a biological, we- a mobile biological weapons unit uh, like okay. what Saddam Hussein was supposed to have had, but way more advanced. Yeah. So they find something like that and they and they actually do manage to get a hold of someone on the radio. But then, you know, Melanie, uh, the young girl, is like, no, we have to go save, save Kieran. We have to go save him. I, I just saw the because she sees the kids kind of kind of picking up on his scent and running out. Yeah, um, she, she noticed them in this place before kind of all congregating and doing what feral children do. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, as as we all know, the famous scene in Nell where yeah. uh, Jodie Foster commands her army. And, and eats a bunch of people. Right. That's uh, it was weird that they showed it showed that to movie to us in school. Um, Nell, you can't be eating people, Nell. Be careful, Nell, because I have a very specific set of skills. <laughs> oh no, he's coming for uh, <laughs> hey, he was, killed Nell. He was in that movie, dude. I know, but did he kill her? Um, as far as I remember, probably sure. All right, cool. But uh, what the fuck were we talking about? Fucking Nell. Um. So anyway. <laughs> Yeah, so they, they basically miss out on whatever that uh, that radio dispatch was. Whether it was going to help them or not, it's interesting that they go off to save the one guy uh, in sacrifice of what could have been something more. Um, because that theme kind of comes back a few times, right? Well, it comes back especially, around at the end. <laughs> yeah, especially at the end of the movie because we have this, this kind of final moment where um, – they all come back to the mobile unit where Glenn Close has been waiting, and she has like a hazmat suit on, mm. and just gasses everyone. Just fucking gasses the shit out of them. Yeah, and then you know drags Melanie over to do the uh, to do the experiment on her to basically take out her brain and spinal cord so that she can make this vaccine. And they have this like final exchange here that I think is interesting, and then we'll talk about it obviously because that's what we do. I promise it won't hurt. Will you tell her? She'll know you did it for her. I need you to lie down. What about the children, Dr. Cordwell? Melanie, lie down, please. I don't have long if I don't do this now. Subjects responses. Exquisite mimicry of observed behaviors. Question mark. Do you still think that, Dr. Cordwell? Melanie, I... Do you? 
No. We're alive? Yes. <laughs> You're alive. Then why should it be us who die for you? Stay here. If you stay here, you'll be safe. Wow. <laughs> as soon as she says that line, why should it be us that dies for you? I was kind of floored. I was like, holy shit, is that the direction we're taking here? I was like, holy shit, she's turned revolutionary. <laughs> she has, because, and that's what happens. Yeah, because she burns down like the, the area with all the fungus, with all the spores. Well, she sets fire to it, which she then sets- causes the, the spores to explode and then start to basically get that beautiful shot of all the spores spreading out like a cloud uh, from the from the burning pyre, essentially. And what's interesting is, too, is that she tells Glenn Close, like, you're going to want to stay here because I'm about to, you know, infect the world. Yeah. <laughs> and, of course, Glenn Close does not stay there, and she gets eaten by feral children, something uh, I thought I'd never say. <laughs> uh, as a sentence, but <laughs> but there there it is. Um, it was in her contract then, that that had to happen. She's like, I'm going to do a zombie movie. I got to have a good death. <laughs> I need to be eaten by children. That is my that is in my writer. It's a, it's a specific kink of hers, and this is how celebrities get off is by making movies about weird shit. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> Throwing Glenn Close under the bus. Yeah. Hashtag Me Too, Glenn Close. <laughs> Wait, no, I'm not. I'm not saying that she sexually harassed me. Uh, yeah, I'm just saying that uh, she's sexy. <laughs> okay. Wait, I don't think that's what hashtag me too means, <laughs> isn't it? Uh, I would uh, go to hashtag me too sexy. Oh, oh no, Jason, you need no. to stop hashtagging me too. Uh, you see, you just stop hashtag me too and Brie Larson, okay? <laughs> I, I really was. I really was wondering why I was getting so much negative feedback, but uh, I thought people were just stupid. No, Captain Marvel did not assault you, Jason. Oh, Delete well. that tweet. Well, I'll think about it. Okay, that's fair. All right. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so she, she basically says, it's really interesting. Why should we be the species that die, that dies out rather than human beings? And it's like, it kind of poses the question. It's a fucking bleak question yeah. but it's like is the human race worth saving or is or in my mind is the human race time past like is it just yeah this this disaster has established the fact that homo sapiens cannot survive anymore and that something else is rising in its place yeah are we just prolonging the inevitable like yeah like w- these these kids have clearly adapted to the new environment mm-hmm. uh, and that new environment is going to involve you know occasionally maniacally eating someone Right. <laughs> and, and um, you know, this, this stuff that's in the air is going to turn everyone. So we have Sergeant Parks coming out, uh, coming out of the mobile unit. He gets it. He uh, gets Melody to shoot him. Oh, I don't understand why he didn't just kill himself. Well, I think by that point he was starting to get a bit jittery. And I don't think he necessarily had the, the physical control to manage to get that gun in his mouth or whatever he needed to do and pull the trigger. But yeah, um, so, I mean, well, let's just reveal the ending is that she gets out, she releases the spores, mm-hmm. you know, people get 
get Glenn Close gets killed, Parks gets killed, and the ending is really interesting because we have basically a reversal of the one of the first scenes. Yes. Is that Miss um, Justino is teaching all the children, but she is kind of the isolated one. She's the in one in this, the cage. Yeah, she's the one in the cage, and all these kids are like gathered around listening to her. And I wrote down, like, is this a tragic end for that character? Or do you think she kind of is just kind of like, okay, this is my, this is the new reality? Well, you know, I, I think it's clear to her that d- d- despite all her rage, she's still just a rat in a cage. <laughs> Uh, is, well, is, God is, save the queen. <laughs> no, we're not done yet. Right. Um, uh, I I like the ending because it was a very Twilight Zone ending. <laughs> oh, I love the ending. I like I I I really like the ending, and it's just like it's not one of those cheap ass horror endings that it's like the bad guys win. Like it totally ties into everything, and it's not necessarily a downer. It's kind Do you of know what fun- I mean. A fun twist on the old, uh, like, like the sole survivor trope, you know, and it's so often a woman, you know, e- Evil yeah. Dead put a spin on it by making it a dude. And this movie puts a spin on it by just she survives, but she's locked in a truck and she's now there for the rest of her life. How is she going to eat? Well, that's a good question. I guess she's just going to teach until she starves to death. I guess so the kids are going to cook for her. <laughs> yeah. Oh. It's like, well, the, but you guys don't cook. You guys just eat raw flesh. Me, I, I need, I need salt. I need pepper. I need a little bit of oregano here and there. It's like, guys, have you ever had uh, listeners out there with kids? Have you ever had your kids make breakfast in bed? Yeah. Probably not great, right? Imagine that every last day. Oof. Ugh. Why do children even try? <laughs> <laughs> this is coming from two childless <laughs> yeah, uh, <exactly>. gentlemen. <laughs> just chasing what? myself. You should listen to us when it comes to talking about how to raise children. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jason, um, I don't want to go. I don't want to uh, drone on any longer. Is there anything else you wanted to mention about this yeah, movie? Before I forget about the the soundtrack to this movie is utterly amazing. It is yeah. super unique. Uh, I don't think I've ever quite heard a soundtrack like it in a movie. It's it's got uh, you know some traditional kind of string and stuff but it's got like this droning it's almost like throat singing but i don't know if it is throat singing it might just be like a synthetic like kind of growl but like yeah it's just so unique to this movie and and i love it and it it really helps this thing stand out to me among other zombie movies i've seen over the years is that this soundtrack just gives it such a such a really cool vibe you know well and a lot of people compare this movie to 28 days later but I think 28 Days Later is such a more – I mean, I know they don't call them zombies. But like yeah. 28 Days Later, I don't know if you've seen it, but it feels like much more of a traditional zombie movie to me. Mm-hmm. Whereas this one I feel like has such a like a unique bend to it. Yeah, exactly. And and I don't know if it was directly inspired by The Last of Us, but it didn't. But if it was, it didn't just try to, to do that same story again, which I appreciate. Yeah. Because, you know, it would be an easy thing to rip off. And instead, right. they took some elements from that. And, and you know, because, I mean, and elements from lots of other places because nothing is made in a vacuum. Well, except That's for... That's just a fact. Except vacuums. vacuums. Yeah, vacuums are made in a vacuum. You can't have vacuums touch air before they're ready to suck or they won't work. I just assume that vacuums are made in that same factory that made everything in uh, uh, in I'm All Right, Jack. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Peter Sellers uh, put it together and, and the quality reflects that. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else? Uh, just, just, yeah, no. Uh, other than to say, I really, really enjoyed this movie. Uh, uh, and it's, it's a fun, well, fun. I don't know is the right word, but it's a really entertaining zombie kind of movie. 
Yeah, and I mean, it, it. there are some surprises. There are some, like, things that you kind of expect in zombie movies. Yep. They, it's almost like it's almost like the whole thing is just presented in a more realistic way overall in terms yeah, and, of like how they tie it into reality and how no characters are presented as stock bad guys or stock good guys like yeah and and I, I as I said earlier I'm a Star Trek fan I like explanations I like logic I like kind of stuff that is grounded in reality even if it is to, even give, when it does its own fantastical thing and that means I'm not I'm certainly not opposed to like out there fantasy and stuff I do like Star Wars and and you know. Uh, uh, Lord of the Rings and shit like that, but I just I really like it when stuff is grounded and it has that connection to reality and it gives you that that sense that you could very well be in that situation. I always point to uh, actually the, one of the best examples of this in my mind is in uh, the Steven Spielberg War of the Worlds. Um, that scene where you see the first tripod come out of the ground and you have the people standing on the street and the guy's like holding his camcorder and looking through his camcorder and recording this and then the camcorder drops and everything. It's just like, it's you could see yourself in that situation, just the way it was shot and everything. And I think this movie kind of does, not to the same level, but but definitely puts you in that situation. Yeah, and I mean, in that movie, I really see myself as the Tim Robbins character. See, I always saw myself as the Dakota Fanning, just screaming the whole time. <laughs> By the Come way, on in, I, and I'm going in my underground shelter. <sighs> a lot of people I know that like that movie or watch that movie complain about her screaming, but I don't because her screaming is 100% exactly realistic. It is exactly what you would expect if a girl her age were in that situation. That War of the Worlds movie is so much better than it's given credit for. It is. Well, it's it's a flawed movie. I I. Like I say, I absolutely adore it, but I also what I don't adore about that movie is the the two and a half hour uh, section where we're in the basement with Tim Robbins. Oh, see, I like that scene. I, I like it, but it's also it just goes on for way too long. <laughs> I mean, that's that's fair. I haven't seen it in a long time. I just remember really liking it and then hearing people's kind of lukewarm thoughts on it and being like, really? Oh, okay. Man, it's the that tripod coming into the ground that first scene just I, that was the scene i would always use to show off justin's uh stereo system just to really like turn up the bass and stuff just when it starts like rumbling out of the ground and i'd shake the fucking house yeah yeah um so i do want to play one more clip before we move sure. forward and it's just because i think it's really interesting is um the scene we get where melanie is scaring off the other zombie kids because if we listen to them, they sound very much like they're snarling and they sound like animals, right? Mm. And I like how she doesn't really like she sounds like a per like a human trying to make those sounds. Yeah. And I think it I don't think it's like an acting thing. I think it well, I think it is an acting choice, but I think it's intentional to kind of give her more of like a connection to the human world. And I just I I, I don't know. I thought it was really interesting. Let's just take a listen. Of course, you hear the you can tell which one is her because it's the one that doesn't sound like an actual like snarling animal. 
Um, Great fight scene, by the way. That's a that's a really cool uh, fight scene between the the two of them with him swinging the bat and her. She gets hit with it, and then yeah, she eventually picks it up and then bashes his fucking head in. Oh yeah, it's brutal. <laughs> it's great. There is some there is some hashtag child murder in this one. Yeah, but it's it's all justified. Yeah. <laughs> The best kind of child murder. Just I was, child murder. Okay. Um, I was going to say just like most child murder. You took it in a slightly <laughs> less dark <laughs> direction. Wow. Uh, can you tell we don't have kids? Yes, you can. Absolutely. So, yeah, I, th- I think that's all I, I really have to say. You said you want to you move on to, to the critique of this film? Yeah, I, mean, I don't really have much bad to say about it. Uh, okay. I, I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, I know some people don't like the last bit of it just kind of slows down a bit, but I, I saw that. I yeah. saw a lot of that. That was strange I to I, me. I was pretty engaged throughout all of it. Like, uh, yeah. uh, I was more engaged than I've been in, in a lot of movies recently with this one. So, well, let's talk about, um, this movie doesn't go to the Oscars, which shouldn't be a surprise. It's a, it's a horror movie, Yeah. <laughs> but it does go to the BAFTAs. It is nominated for one award at the BAFTAs. It is nominated for Outstanding Debut for a British Writer, Director, or Producer. It does not win. It loses to a movie called Under the Shadow, which I haven't seen. But, the um, skin, I assume. Yeah. Uh, also not starring Gemma Arterton. Oh. Hmm. See, I haven't seen her, by the way, more and more. I kind of I do want to see a version of Under the Skin with her in it. I think she would have been great. I think I'd just like to see it a uh, version of Under the Skin with all of my favorite attractive actresses. Oh, Jesus. Angelina Jolie, wait for the phone call. You know what, Jason? You know there's plenty of other places you can see Angelina Jolie like that. Yeah, in, in that brief, glorious moment in Hackers. Yeah, absolutely. What? Yeah, or... in Hackers, when, she, when, when Johnny's having the dream and she walks into the room and unzips her jacket and you just ever so briefly see a flash of nip. Jason, just wa- go watch Gia and call me in the morning. Oh, I've seen Gia. Trust me. <laughs> well, I've seen about 15 minutes of Gia. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> as we continue to perv about our pervy ways, <laughs> the budget of this movie was four million pounds. That's a deal. And I don't know what it made in in pounds, but I don't think it was a huge success because in dollars it made $2.3 million. Ooh, yeah, that's only like um, uh, 1.75 million pounds or something. I'm hoping it made some money back on video or, uh, you know, DVD or streaming or whatever. But um, as you said, the book and the film were written in tandem. And the movie, the screenplay for this movie was placed on a 2014 Brit list, which was a film industry compiled list of the best unproduced screenplays in British films. So this was, should we sue them? That sounds like a, a list, like a title we'd come up with. It does. And in can you fact, sue somebody I'm, for sounding like you might sound? Hold on. I'm going to get my lawyer, Mark Wahlberg. Hey, okay. uh, what? What do you want me to do? Uh, you want me, you want me to file a lawsuit? Yeah, yeah, that that'd be great. I think that's what we want, right, Jason? Yeah, I mean, just go ahead and file that lawsuit, Mark. <laughs> what? No, I look, can't. Look, you look, look, Mark. I, I've had enough of your bullshit. We need you to work. I need you to get off your ass. I need you to call the Funky Bunch, and I need you to get this done. Listen, I'll do it this afternoon. All right? No, you do it now, Mark. 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 I won't even call you by your real name or your fake name. You're just Mark. 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 Look, that's offensive, okay? Yeah, and Lord uh, knows, I've never done anything offensive in my life. You No, don't mention it. Boy. Don't. No. You don't yeah, have to bring it up. 
You beat up okay. that Vietnamese guy. No. <laughs> yeah, you no. did. What? You did. You what? did, Mark. Yeah, no. absolutely did it. Yes, no. you did. I, I read about it on Wikipedia, so it's I would true. never do that. Guys, break it up. <laughs> Guys, All right, look, I don't want to have to kick the shit out of Mark Wahlberg today, so why don't you just send him on his way, Brendan? Listen, all right. I got to go to Chinatown. I'll be back. Oh, yeah, you oh, better go oh, to Chinatown. Oh, no. He's banned. There he goes. Well, just wait till security sees him. Oh, boy. Well, at least he's going to... Uh, nope, he's getting arrested. Okay, here we go. Oh. Anywho... Sorry, I apologize for that interruption. I really should lock the door here at the studio. Well, it was um, nice that he was there for the exact thing we needed him for. I mean, I'll give him credit for that, but he just doesn't know what to believe. So this is actually Cole McCarthy, the director. This is his first feature, which I think is pretty impressive. And only uh, the second person I am aware of named Colm, after Colm Mooney <laughs> from Star Trek Deep what about, Space. What about Colm Fior? Okay, so three. It's three and no more. There's only three Colms in the world. <laughs> he, also, uh, he also directed that episode of Black Mirror called the uh, the Black Museum. I did not see that one. Oh, that's a good one. That had, actually I've actually seen has, a handful of Black Mirror episodes. That has the uh, the actress who plays uh, Black Panther's sister. It's really good. Oh. The writer of the of the novel and the screenplay uh, kind of explains the movie as follows. He said, we went a slightly different way in the movie, especially when it came to point of view, where the novel moves between the five main characters and lets us see what's going on in all their heads. The movie sticks with Melanie all the way, and there are no junkers in the movie. The base falls to a hungry attack, but it's a case of two different paths through the same narrative space. The ending is absolutely faithful to the book. Nice. So he said in an interview with Mom Advice. <laughs> wow. I just, I just thought that was funny. That, that was the name of the publication. Wow, that's that's how desperate he was for press. That he's like, we, we got you an interview with Mom Advice magazine. You want that? Yes, absolutely. I will talk to them. Sign me the fuck up. We got to get the word out to the moms across the world so they can show this to their children. <laughs> <laughs> so, Jason, what do you think? This movie, uh, I know you said you liked it. Do you think it um, holds any merit? Uh, let's, let's just say a list is made another 20 years from now. Um, do you think this thing holds any merit in a list like that? You know what? I, I think so. But this would definitely be a dark horse candidate uh, yeah. uh, just because it's not nearly as well known as other zombie movies. And, and I can't compare it to 28 Days Later as I've not seen it, but like. This could definitely serve as as the British entry in a in a in a list like that representing zombie films. Although I suppose Twenty Eight Days Later would probably be the go to, even though it's not technically a zombie film. <laughs> it's basically a zombie film. I will say yeah. this though. I will say this though. Any any British list in the future that doesn't include Shaun of the Dead, I think is a, a travesty to, to us. Yeah. All. I mean, that's, that's just such a great movie beyond being a zombie movie. It's just a great comedy and, and wonderful actors. Everybody in it. I love. And, you know, I feel like a list of that sort would be like, Oh guys, listen, we gave you one zombie movie. Okay. Just calm down. And, uh, uh, what's his name? Jesus. Uh, Dylan, the guy that plays Dylan the, Baker. Dylan Baker, yeah. I was introduced to Dylan Baker thanks to Shaun of the Dead. And if you've never seen the show he was in called Black Books... Whoa, 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 whoa. Are you talking about Fido? Uh, Dylan the, Baker's not in Shaun of the Dead. Oh, who am I talking about? The fucking Dylan something. He's he's the he's the kind of prissy boyfriend in Shaun of the Dead. Oh, I know who you're talking about. I don't know. Yeah. Name. Anyways, he's on a show called Black Books with Bill Bailey. And it is, okay. it is very... He's It's one of those great British sitcoms where... He's a main character that has – he's just an, a total fucking asshole, <laughs> and yet you still love him anyways. <laughs> Perfect. 
All right. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna join in. I'm gonna jump on the bandwagon. I'm gonna say this was a great movie. Um, I was looking forward to it, kind of when we discovered it. I guess um, we discovered it. Nobody else yeah. knew about it. Um, I was looking forward to it from the get go, but then yeah, it was even better than I expected. It was really good. Uh, great take on the zombie genre. I would love to see it on the list, but again, if they're gonna put Shaun of the Dead on there, I doubt they would put both. Yeah. Yeah, but that's, but yeah, but so it's really good. So you guys, if you haven't watched it, go check out Netflix and watch that movie. Go to but your Jason, local blockbuster and rent it on VHS. <laughs> Jumbo video. Oh wow. wow. Jason, that's how long I've been working at my job. There was a jumbo video next to my work when I started working there. Holy shit. Yeah. You know what it's time for, right? We haven't done this in a long time. No, I barely remember. It's time. Four times. It's time to quote unquote roll the dice. Oh, that's right. Because we're not physically in person, so we can't roll the dice in front of each other and we have to keep each other honest. Right. And because, you know, Jason and I have a, a intense distrust of each other. Complete um, utter, utter distrust. You can't you can't give this man a nickel because he'll give it to, you know, just a prostitute. Right, uh, and then he yeah. won't even he won't even expect anything in return. That's the kind of guy he is. <laughs> He's a shit. Wow. So uh, that was a lot less glowing than your introduction. <laughs> uh, I've had enough of you so far. I've already been, it's, we've been talking for an hour and a half now. So fuck you. Don't lie to the people. This could be edited down. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. So anyway, we're gonna do a variation of rolling the dice. We basically just have a website here that is gonna randomly pick a movie from the list of movies that we have left. So we're going back to the list, Jason. We're going yes. back to the BFI top 100. We are still in the core, but damn it, we have to get back to the list. That's right, we do. So what I'm gonna do is I have the site ready to go here. And I'm sure you can see it. Just to verify, I have included all the movies here. As you can uh, see, can you get that uh, Domino's deal and send me a pizza? <laughs> you need to not pay attention to the ads, Jason. They are not a sponsor. <laughs> okay, so what we're going to do is we have the list of remaining movies on the list, and I am going to click the start button to pick us a random winner. All right, ready? Are you? Count it down. Okay. Ready? Here we go. Three, two, one. Punch it, Chewy. Here we go. What do we get? What do we get? What do we get? What do we get? Oh, it's going to be... Oh. Brief Encounter. Oh, wow. Is okay. that a David Lean? This is a David Lean. This is, in fact... Let's see this here. The last... Oh, no. We've also got Oliver or whatever. This is this is very high up the list. Let's just take a look here. Holy shit, Jason. Next week, we are going to talk about, on the top 100 BFI movies... Number two. Ooh. Number two, Brief Encounter, directed by David Lean. This is, as you can hear my list, uh, 1945. Oh, good year. It was the year the war ended. Yeah, so David Lean was celebrating with a brief encounter. So uh, we're going to uh, we're going to do that. Sounds like a plan, Stan. All right, so next I'm week. Excited. Yeah, David Lean. We're going back to David Lean. Uh, do we have? Man, I don't even yeah. know if we have any more David Lean. After don't we this. have the Oliver Twist one? Yes, we have Oliver Twist, and I think that might be it. Yeah, I think we've just about worked our way through them. We've exhausted our Lean. 
Um, so we're just like little Wayne. <laughs> sure. We're just like that. Uh, so we'll talk about brief encounter next week. Number two on the BFI top 100. But until that moment, I have to say you can find us on Facebook. Just search for, for screen and country. You can find us on Twitter at BFI underscore pod. You can also find Jason on Twitter at Jason D. McLeod. That's M-A-C-L-O-D. I don't even know how, to spell my own, even know how to spell my own name. That's at Jason D. McLeod. That's M-A-C-L-E-O-D. Check out my Twitter feed. Sometimes I retweet Billy Wayne Davis, and he's really funny. So come for that, and then maybe follow him, and then you don't even have to look at my feed anymore. And don't look up Jason McLeod. He's super racist and yeah, probably no, a Nazi. He, he smokes a lot. He's a French guy. Don't trust him. Yeah, the French he's Nazi. He's the worst. He's a Vichy. <laughs> such he's such a clod that's right <laughs> clod um and you can also of course find us on all the podcatchers which you're listening to right now so you know where to go you um you can find us on twitter at bfi underscore pod not bfi underscore podcast as i said on a recent episode of an of my other podcast <laughs> uh which i realize and is embarrassing um Did you get that twitter handle and then redirect it to your current twitter handle I should, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then um, in the bio, just put, because Brendan's an idiot, go to this. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good to me. All right. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, do that stuff that I said and that Please. Jason said. Please do the stuff. But until that moment, I just have to say to you, God save the queen. God save the screen. For screen and country, I'm Brendan. And I'm Jason. Here's all of the gifts. Well, the, you know, there's a prequel to this that was written. It's called The Boy with Something, I think, and it's about them trying to find a cure, but it happens before, so you know they don't. Zing! Boring. The Eastern world, it is exploding. Violence flaring, bullets loading. You're old enough to kill. But not for voting You don't believe in war But what's that gun you're toting And even the Jordan River has Bodies floating But you tell me Over and over and over again My friend I ah, you don't believe We're on the eve of destruction Don't you understand what I'm trying to say? Can't you feel the fears I'm feeling today? If the button is pushed, there's no running away. There'll be no one to save with the world in a grave. Take a look around you, boy. It's bound to scare you, boy. And you tell me over and over. It's time. Let's check our cue, baby. Pair it with a couple brews, baby. We love your movies. We love the bad ones, too.
So we watch them all and pass their lessons on to you. Oh yeah. Everything I learned from movies helps to make life a little bit groovy. With a one last plot holds a gratuitous movie. It's time to get busy with your friend Steven Izzy. At eilfm.podbean.com.